You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How do you do? Lovely to speak to you again. Hope you're all doing well. Keeping safe. Glad to hear it. A trio of stellar Golden Age movies to tell you about today. A visit to the unholy question pot is incoming. Some news about Film Club. A beautiful radio drama. And even a chance for you to guess who the hell that Hollywood legend is. Is there anything we're not doing today? I'll tell you what we're not doing. We're not going to be dry-eyed once we've heard Ella Fitzgerald singing Spring is Here. Once there was a thing called spring When the world was writing verses like yours and mine All the lads and girls would sing When we sat at little tables and drank May Sadly out of tune Life has stuck the pin in the balloon Spring is here Why doesn't my heart go dancing Spring is here Isn't the waltz entrancing? No desire, no ambition leads me. Maybe it's because no. And that was the immortal Ella Fitzgerald with Spring is Here. Gorgeous way to get us off and running today. And now, to keep the musical perfection theme flowing nicely, let's go over to another 
timeless melody. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Yes. Thank you, silver-voiced songstrel of the question pot theme song. Whoever you are. Got a very soggy question here in the belly of the pot from Stacy Nicholson, our good friend over at Film Club, who asks, If you had to pick one star to gush over, who would it be and why? I really just wanted to hear the song again. I don't blame you for wanting to hear that thing, Stacy. Do you mean my all-time crush from the golden age? My goodness, it's kind of hard to pick one. I mean, Sally Gray comes to mind. Sally Gray. As does Rita Hayworth, Myrna Loy, Jane Greer, Miriam Hopkins, Maureen O'Sullivan, Ingrid Bergman, Ava Gardner, Patricia Rock, Margaret Lockwood, Joan Greenwood, Norma Shearer, Jane Randolph, <gasps> Audrey Hepburn, Joan Fontaine, Kay Francis, Teresa Harris, Lauren Bacall, Ginger Rogers, Barbara Stamick, Loretta Young, Carol Lombard, Jean Tierney, Clara Bow, Louise Brooks, Mary Astor, Claudette Colbert, Lucille Ball, <gasps> Joan Blondell, Martha Vickers, Veronica Lake, Sid Charisse, Olivia de Havilland, Greer Garson, Mary Bryan, Marion Marsh, Claire Dodd, Helen Vinson, Francis Drake, Anne Vorshek, Grace Kelly, Donna Reed, Gloria Stewart, Evelyn Ankers, Faye Ray, Theresa Wright, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Really and honestly, I fall in love with every girl in every classic movie. All my crushes are dead. Anyway, if you have a question and you want it answered, so long as it doesn't cause a computer overload malfunction like that particular question did, then go to attaboyclarence.com, scroll down the homepage, and drop the blighter into the question pot. Thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. And it might fascinate you to know that Stacy will be joining myself and Bernard, my co-host of the All the Best Lines podcast, in the upcoming episode four, where we're talking all about Portrait of Jenny with Joseph Cotton and Jennifer Jones. And if you want to hear the previous three episodes of myself and Bernard talking about classic movies, look for All the Best Lines in your podcatchers of choice. While we're on the subject of Film Club, this weekend's is something very Special. We've been taking a weekly trip through time, voting for a film from each year of the Golden Age. This week, we arrive at the year many consider to be the greatest ever in terms of film, 1939. Yes, the choice is going to be very tough this week. So if you want to pick your greatest movie from cinema's greatest year, then go on over to patreon.com slash secret and get your vote in now. And if you sign up while you're there, then you'll receive your special invitation to join us this Sunday, the 22nd of November, to see who's won that vote. Now, let's skip on over to test your wits, shall we? As another Hollywood star attempts to bamboozle you by remaining hidden away. Yes, prick up those ears, listen for the clues, and see if you can tell. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend? All right, panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, we go to a different form of questioning. You ask one question at a time in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin it with Arlene Francis. Uh, are you associated in some way with show business? Uh, yes. Mr. Lewis. Um, are you a performer in the literal sense of the word? We, we, we. What is that, he said? <laughs> That's yes. yes. He's a little performer. Yes. Wee wee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Gilgallum? Are you in the motion pictures? See, si, see. Si. Uh -huh. Sir? See, see. I can't see, see. <laughs> uh. There was a strange, it seemed to me there was more applause after you signed in than when you walked out. So I wonder if it's possible that your chief fame is uh, because of your reputation rather than visually. Is that correct? Je ne sais pas. I, I would I don't say get that. That, that it 
probably than it that our guest is known visually to, to great numbers of people, but at the same time, I would have to admit that he has a towering reputation uh, which rises even above the identification factor. Thank you. Ms. Francis? I'm in Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the gentleman is a performer, you said, or he said, or we weed. The gentleman, the gentleman does perform, yes. He performs, but he performs mostly behind the scenes, am I led to understand? What was this reading you just gave? <laughs> <laughs> you see. Yes, I think that in balance, we would have to say that uh, behind the scenes is the principal area of operation. Uh-huh. Mr. Lewis? Uh, but you do both, behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera. Is that correct? Am yeah, I to believe? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's right, reading? yeah. That is true. Do I go again? Yes, you go ahead, because you were merely re-establishing an already recorded fact. Oh, thanks a heap. Uh, <laughs> well, well, then, uh, let me ask this. Do you work alone? Oh, no, no, no. One down and nine to go, Miss Kilgallen. Are you in any way associated with the production end of motion pictures? We, ma'am, we. Mr. Sir? I think I, I think I know that voice from personal acquaintance. Are you beloved by millions and millions of children? Well, stop it there. Do you have a clue? You must have. Keep hold of your answer and we'll see if you're right later on. Well, this is my first affair. Please be kind. Handle my heart with care Please be kind This is all so grand My dreams are on parade If you'll just understand They'll never, never fade So tell me your love sincere Please be kind Tell me I needn't fear Please be kind Cause if you leave me dear I know my heart Will lose its mind If you love me Please be kind This is my first affair, so please be kind, handle my heart with care, oh, please be kind. And that was Frank Sinatra and Count Basie with Please Be Kind. Feeling better after that? I should bally well think so. On to some movies then. Well, you learn something new every day, don't you? At least I did when I watched 1938's Girls on Probation, starring Jane Bryan, Ronald Reagan, Sig Ruman and Sheila Bromley. For instance, I didn't know that you could go to prison for wearing someone else's dress. But yes, apparently that is the case, which puts a dastardly end to my burgeoning RuPaul tribute act. Girls on probation, then. The dark tale of the black hole you'll fall into if you go to a dance in someone else's threads. Here's a clip. Oh, Connie, let the books go. All right, I can finish it later. No, 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 I'll do this in the morning. Oh, Hilda, by the way, Mm -hmm. Mr. Todd's plenty burned up about your playing around with boys so much. 
You better kind of keep your mind on your work. Well, oh, boys are my work. There's no future in the cleaning business. Well, what future is there in flitting around from one man to another? Oh, I should stay home and sit around all the time like you do, huh? I don't sit around. I'm just waiting for the right one, that's all. Yeah, when he comes along, he'll probably be tied up to another day. Connie Heath, played by Jane Bryan, is a nice young girl from a nice all-American family made up of Elizabeth Risden and Sig Ruman. Yes, Sig Ruman, who can turn any family quarrel into a silly symphonies cartoon. Connie, I told you once I don't want you running around with that angstrom girl. We had to work tonight, Dad. That'll do to tell your mother, but it won't go down with me. I want to know where you two girls have been. At the Porter Street store. <laughs> well, if you don't believe me, you can call Mr. Todd in the morning and ask him. Maybe I will. I'm sure he'd be glad to know you have no faith in your daughter. What's faith got to do with it? I don't like the company you pick. You say that about every boy and girl I ever went with. Old Zig doesn't want Connie going out to play with Hilda Engstrom, played by Sheila Bromley, because she's, as Zig puts it, a fast girl. A quality that is nowadays seen as a blessing. Surely we all like swiftness in a person. Apparently the word fast was something of an insult back then, though. Hilda's as fast as they come, and prove it, she persuades Connie to come out to a dance. That fast, fast, reckless fast girl. Problem is, Connie's got nothing to wear. Oh, you're not going to let this row stop you from going tomorrow night. You heard what he said? Well, just for that, I'd go anyway. But I haven't anything to wear. Oh, I'll get you a dress. You'll get me one? Yes, I'll, well, I'll loan you one. I've got one that you've never seen. I've only worn it once. What do you say? Okay. I'll call you at lunch. I swear. As you heard, Hilda has a dress that Connie can wear. Only thing is, the dress doesn't belong to Hilda. It belongs to another girl who sees Connie in the dress and presses charges. Yes, it turns out the dress was left at the cleaners and Hilda swiped it so that Connie could wear it. And before you know what's happening, Connie has been imprisoned. Well, as I get this, you wanted to go to a party and knock some poor guy for a loop with a swell gown, so you helped us out to Gloria's dress. All of which goes to prove that crime doesn't pay. I'm not a criminal and I didn't take the dress. But we both saw you wearing it. That doesn't make any difference. I didn't take it. And how'd you get it? It was loaned to me by another girl. She told me it was hers. Why didn't you try that story on Todd? Well, if I told Mr. Todd, it would just be her word against mine and we'd both be arrested. So you want to take the rap yourself? What rap? Well, they call it larceny. It carries a pretty stiff sentence. Now, obviously, there is more to the story than that. I've just described the setup. But the whole sorry episode of the dress is the ignition that starts this car and sends it hurtling over a cliff to become a great big fireball of nope. Connie finds herself being ever more dragged downwards by fast Hilda, culminating in, I kid you not, a bank robbery. Look here, I want you to sign a statement that will clear my name back home. If you think I will, you're crazy. You squawked to save your own skin, and I had to leave town with the coppers one jump behind me. I'll fix you for that if it's the last thing I do. But, Hilda, if you have Get out any... of this car! You don't know what you're doing! No, I won't get out until you get me... Defending Connie is plucky attorney Neil Dillon, played by Ronald Reagan, who's fallen for Connie the dress thief, but will her shady past come back to haunt him when his political career starts to take off? I mean, you can't accuse Warners of skimping on the plot here. An awful lot happens in its 63-minute running time. I remember a movie called Quicksand with Mickey Rooney, which was basically him starting off the day by borrowing a dollar from the till in order to help a friend or something, and the escalating series of events that follows, culminating in Rooney being wanted for murder. Now, Girls on Probation reminded me of that kind of hysterical chain of events. She goes to a dance, she gets prosecuted, her name is destroyed, she falls in love, there's a bank robbery, there's a bit where she goes to prison and becomes this hard-bitten inmate-type person, there's a mystery to solve, there's a how-will-she-prove-her-innocence-type deal. It's like rolling a pebble at the top of a slope and watching it gather snow all the way down until it crashes through someone's house. It just keeps getting worse and worse for old Connie. And the result is one of those experiences that holds your attention in a completely morbid way. You can't stand to watch it, but you have to know if things can possibly get worse. The part I really love about this film, though, is its complete lack of nuance. It's like these characters are actually computers and can't communicate with each other in any way but words. When you walked into that office the other day, I was scared to death of you. You held a whip over me and I was afraid of what you might do with it. Not to me, but, but to me. 
But after you left, I told him everything. He knows and it doesn't make any difference, and I'm not afraid of anything you can do. Well, you better be. If it hadn't been for you, Tony and I would you be... You both got what you deserved. Tony wouldn't think twice about killing anyone who got in his way. There's only one place for a man like that, and I'm going to send him back there. Oh, no, you won't. What do you think the DA will do when he finds out that one of these deputies has a convicted bank robber working in his office... They explain situations to each other over and over again. They tell each other how the explanations have made them feel. They reevaluate their feelings in words. They tell each other how this has made them feel. They never shut up. It's fantastic. It all barrels along ceaselessly towards a great little ending and spits you out breathlessly. It's like getting on a helter-skelter slide, but without the desire to ever ride the thing again. 1938's Girls on Probation, then. It's very fun, very tacky, very talky, very efficient, morbidly fascinating. And as I said, you learn something new every day. Don't wear another girl's dress to a dance, or you'll end up being banged up in Sing Sing with only Ronald Reagan to help you. Also, your dad with the comedy accent will be so disappointed. Sticking with crime, I also watched 1930s The Big House, a pre-code prison thriller drama about a gang of inmates who variously fall in and out with each other. Great cast here. You have Chester Morris in perhaps the most likable role I've ever seen him in. Then you have a never gruffer Wallace Beery, a fresh-faced Robert Montgomery, then Lewis Stone and Leela Hyams. Here's a clip. Kent Marlowe, manslaughter, sentenced to 10 years. First time in prison? Yes. Sir, to me? Yes, sir. How old are you? 24, sir. Ever serve in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps? No, sir. Use tobacco? Yes, sir. Morphine, opium, cocaine? No, sir. Brisket. We arrive at the big house in the company of new prisoner Kent, played by Robert Montgomery, a society lad whose drunk driving has led to the death of a pedestrian. He's in for manslaughter and he finds himself banged up in a cell with the growling, tough-as-nails Butch, played by Wallace Beery, and equally tough, but somewhat less threatening Morgan, played by Chester Morris. I'm known the world over as machine gun Butch. You heard of me. That's a cinch. You never heard of the Lacey gang being wiped out? Well, I done the wiping. 500 bucks for bumping off three. Ain't much. It's cheap. What's your racket? What you in for? Manslaughter. Manslaughter? Well, you ain't no more than glory after all. Press the flesh. Who'd you croak? Well, it was an accident. An accident? Yeah, I was driving a car. Oh, you're a wet ears. Your nose ain't even dry. What do you mean? I'll show you what I mean, kid. I'll learn you a lot of things before we're through with you in here. Morg, there's company in the parlor. Morgan's my name. Kent's mine. How are you? Don't you ever have any air in here? Sure, plenty. All hot. Both Butch and Morgan attempt to take Kent under their wing, but while Morgan is all for the quiet life in prison, preferring to keep to the rules when he can and sit out his sentence without ruffling too many feathers, Butch is all about lighting the touch paper whenever he gets the chance. I can't eat that stuff. Who did that? Me! What do you think of that? I want some food. I don't want any more of this, Will. Ah! You give me some food, Dean. I'm not going to eat that junk. Shut up! Hold on! For Kent's part, he's opted for neither father figure. He'd much rather stool pigeon his way out of jail by remaining neutral and giving the warden, played by Lewis Stone, any information that could commute his sentence. This, of course, leads to tensions between the prisoners, especially Butch, who can't seem to stop fanning the flames. For three months, every day he's been going to that gate. The screw's used to it. Don't pay no attention to it. Yeah? Every once in a while, why, he has an extra big bunch of flowers and the screw opens the gate. Savvy? I see. And you six guys go through, is that it? Sure. Simple, ain't it? Sure. What happens when you get through the inner gate? We crash that outer gate and there's a car waiting outside. When does it come off? Thanksgiving Day, noon. Most of the screws go home to turkey dinner. We'll give them a belly full. Now, it's worth saying that I do like a prison drama. Shawshank is a wonderful movie. An Innocent Man with Tom Selleck. Each Dawn I Die with Raft. American Me with Edward James Olmos. I'm not condoning people who go to prison, by the way. There's just something intensely unsafe 
about watching a group of caged animals whose only common denominator is that they're all criminals. It makes for a super suspenseful situation. It's a powder keg of toxic masculinity and violence that can go off with even the slightest provocation. The good prison movies are the ones who keep that simmering tension going for as long as possible. The Big House is right up there for me in terms of achieving that boiling fury beneath the surface, only allowed out in brief stabs and constructing a beautifully staged drama between the main players while very much keeping its hand on the brake. The key to this is the three leads in the film. Robert Montgomery's Kent is a character you initially think you're going to love. He's fresh-faced, he's terrified, he's plucky, and for a moment you do believe that he's going to be your North Star through all of this. But the expectations are wisely defied. He's a rat, perhaps more than any other although he does keep hold of that sense of sympathy. Marvellously written character. Then you have Chester Morris's Morgan, who again is a bit of an enigma when we begin, but who proves his heroism and nobility, not through words and posturing, but by his actions. As I said at the top of this, he's kind of a hard actor to like because he played so many rat characters in things like The Divorcee and Red-Headed Woman. In this, he's terrific. You really do root for him, even though he's potentially as bad as the others. Then you have a timeless, peerless performance from Wallace Beery as Butch. I mean, what a ball of energy. It's like watching a grizzly bear. He's not so much man as he is force of nature. He is terrifying. He's like a brick wall. And yet his character is the one who manages to elicit the most emotion from the film. I won't spoil what happens, but the film's climax is poignant, violent, and very powerful, and it's all due to Butch. Can't say enough good things about this film. It's brutal, it's compelling, it's tough, and yet it also has its moments of heroism and light. 1930s The Big House really does have it all. For my money, the best golden age prison drama I've seen yet. Check it out. The crown jewel of this week's viewing, though, and that is saying something when you consider the brilliance of the big house and the quickfire fun of girls on probation, came from a pre-code romantic crime comedy mystery thing that took me totally by surprise and which has blasted its way firmly into my upper echelons of movie favourites. When you've seen as many Golden Age movies as I have, it sometimes gets a little bit difficult to find yourself so surprised and delighted. And yet that was the case this week when I saw 1933's Penthouse, starring Warner Baxter, Myrna Loy, Nat Pendleton and Mae Clark, one of the best movies I've seen all year. Here's a clip. One in the black and white. Ah, pretty. Did you care for that? Oh, I have to work. Now, wait a minute now. She was on Cleveland's party. You go to work on her. She's a grand kid. Kind you can take home to dinner and no hard feelings if you don't ask her to stay to breakfast. <laughs> and no hard feelings if you do, huh? <laughs> Penthouse tells the story of attorney Jack Durant, played by Baxter, who's famed for representing the wrong kind of client. He's always doing his darndest to argue the case on behalf of the most notorious criminals and generally ensuring that they're free to roam the streets once more. Now, his latest victory is on behalf of mob boss Tony Gaziotti, played by Nat Pendleton, which is the final straw for his high society girlfriend, Sue Leonard, played by Martha Sleeper. You know how I hate you working for people like that. The lowest, commonest type of people on earth. Gangsters, racketeers, chorus girls. Darling, I've had one battle today. Don't let you and I fight. You know, I missed you terribly. I love you more than anything else in the world. Got a funny way of showing it. Right, I'm going to make it my business to show you for the rest of my life. All right. You can start right now. Promise me one thing. Sure, anything. Give up these criminal cases. Uh-oh. Oh, no, I can't promise that. More than anything else in the world. I owe, darling, this is different. It's my business, my work. I can't be dictated to about that. Yes, Sue's had enough of being ignored by Durant, and she completely disagrees with his shady ethics. She dumps Durant in favor of Tom Sidal, Durant's pal, but Sidal has problems of his own. He's currently entangled with gold digger Mimi Montaigne, played by Mae Clark, who's furious when she finds out she's being thrown over. Got another girl? No. You're lying. Now, Mimi, please don't take it like this. Holy mackerel, you come in here and tell me that it's all over and expect me to break out laughing, I suppose. Well, we both knew it couldn't last. I don't see why not. You've got no kick coming. I've been absolutely on the square with you. I haven't looked at another man. I know you've been grand, but I'm going to get married. Oh, that's it. 
Well, who is she? One of those high hat dames, I suppose. I'll show you. You can't give me the runaround like this. I'm not trying to. I'm going to take care of you. I'll make a settlement on you. You can't get rid of me that easy. I gave up a soft birth to come to you. I gave up a guy that was nuts about me. A decent guy. Krellerman? Yes, Krellerman. Now, Mimi, a racketeer. Well, what of it? He was all right with me. He wouldn't have pulled a rotten trick like this. And you're not going to get away with it. I'll show you. I'll spread this thing all over the newspapers. I'll show that lady friend of yours that If you dare to do that... Don't dare me. I've got nothing to lose. I'll do plenty. Stick with me now. Mimi goes back to her ex, crime kingpin Jim Krellerman, played by C. Henry Gordon. But the only way he'll take her back is if she publicly denounces Sidol at a party he's throwing at his penthouse apartment. But as she's doing this, a shot rings out and Mimi falls down dead. Why don't you bring up? Come on, what's the matter with the music? Did you hear that? What? It sounded like a shot. Yes, I heard it. <laughs> All fingers point to Sidal as the guilty party, and Sue knows that the only man she can trust to find the truth is her ex-boyfriend, Durant. Jack, you'll help him, won't you? Won't you? You wouldn't let them. Oh, I know it must seem funny to you after all those things I said about those cases. But, Jack, this is different. This is Tom. You wouldn't let your feeling against me keep you from helping him. You don't have to do that, you know. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so desperate I don't know what I'm doing. I'll go right down to the tombs and see him. Durant teams up with party guest Gertie, played by Myrna Loy, who's convinced that she doesn't know anything that can help Durant. But as Durant explains... Gertie might not realize that she knows as much as she does. There's only one thing for it. Gertie will have to move in with Durant, stick by his side, and hopefully he'll say that magic something that causes the crucial clue to shake loose in Gertie's memory. Come on, let's get it over with. What do you mean? The cross-examination. Really, I... Don't stall. You didn't ask me up here because of my fatal fascination. I was Mimi's pal. I was at Krellerman's party. You want to help Miss Leonard. It adds up too smoothly. You want them to get the man who killed Mimi, don't you? They've got him. And I hope he burns for it. Sidell didn't do it. I know that. Then who did? Well, that's what I want to find out. Will you help me? I'd do anything to get the man who did it. The trouble is, I came to the party after Mimi had gone out on the roof. I'm no good. I don't know a thing. Oh, yes, you know a lot. A lot of things you don't know you know. Things that, that don't seem important to you, but they might mean a great deal to me. So you can help me by just going on talking. You think I might tell something? Exactly. Oh my goodness, I don't quite know where to start with this one. So I heard about this film from my friend Chris on Twitter. So firstly, thank you, Chris, because this movie is a gift. It might also seem as though I've told you the entire story. I can assure you that you're only about a third of the way in. The real story kicks off when Gertie moves in with Durant and this will-they-won't-they romance begins. It's pre-code, but I have to say, aside from a few suggestive innuendos, there's not that much pre-codeness to this thing. The scandalous side of it comes from the fact that the plot revolves around an unmarried couple shacking up in an apartment. That said, Myrna Loy does drop a few invitations to Baxter, and what a complete delight it is, too, to see a woman from this period being so upfront about wanting to get a guy in bed without having to play the bed-hopping type. It's just wonderful to see a girl so confident, so wise, and yet so sexually active between the sheets without coming off as man-hungry. I have to say, Myrna Loy in this film is a revelation. I mean, I'm a fan of her anyway, as we all are, right? But nothing will prepare you for the ultra-cool, sassy, lovable levels that she reaches in this. She is off the scale. For my money, and I realise how controversial this is, I prefer Gertie to any character she's ever played. She is sublime. Not just for the wicked one-liners. Tony was right. Oh, I've been stupid. Very stupid. You're a man. It's just that she's so unpredictable, so charming, so funny. She's a gift of a character. Baxter, too, is not someone I generally reach for when I want to see an inviting screen presence. He's brilliant in this. Aside from Loy, though, I have to say Nat Pendleton, for me, is just outstanding. I'm not going to spoil anything for you because I went in blind to this and I was utterly delighted from start to finish. But his character is the most wonderful thing in the world. Hey, there's somebody you don't like. Yeah, yeah, be careful now. Ah, you get me off. You can get that idea right out of your head. If you're ever guilty, I'll help to send you to the chair. 
Bet you'd let me fry if the cops had the goods on me. You know I would not give three cheers if you got what you deserved. You're a bad citizen, Tony. Public welfare would be improved if you were rubbed out. I never run across a guy like you. You can put the burn up on me and not only make me take it, but like it. All of this glory is set alongside a mystery that I found really easy to follow, but which does its fair share of twisting and turning and enthralling. It's perfectly balanced. It's directed by Woody Van Dyke, and it's written by Goodrich and Hackett, who all made the Thin Man movies, and you can really see that lightness of touch. I've actually seen this called the first real precursor to the Thin Man, which is what snagged my attention. Having seen it, I think that's a little bit detrimental. The Thin Man movies are wonderful, and I'll love them till the day I die. This is very much its own beast, and all the better for it. It's hard to quantify my love for this film effectively. It just seemed to match the rhythm of my heartbeat perfectly. It has everything I love about Golden Age movies. It has a clear plot with an intriguing mystery. It has those lush, high production values that make you yearn to live in the 1930s. It makes you laugh out loud. It makes you swoon with love. The central characters are unforgettable and the situations they find themselves in are completely original and wonderfully realized. And the stars they've chosen to bring this thing to life are immortal. I can't recommend this film enough. You will love this thing. 1933's Penthouse may well be the best thing I've seen this year. Watching it should be compulsory. It's a masterpiece. Well, we'll stick with Myrna Loy for our radio visit today. Unfortunately, or should that be fortunately? There is no radio version of Penthouse. Unfortunate, because I don't get to play it for you, but fortunate, because now you have to run off and find the movie. No, we're off to a show called The Silver Theatre this week for a romantic drama entitled Debutantes, aired in 1939, and which tells the sweet tale of a wealthy society heiress who leaves her fortune behind in search of happiness. And so I leave you in the company of Myrna Loy, and I'll see you afterwards. International Silver Company presents The Silver Theatre, starring Myrna Loy in Debutantes. Directed by Conrad Nagel. Brought to you on behalf of two of the greatest names in silverware, International Sterling, world-famous solid silver, and 1847 Rogers Brothers, America's finest silver plate. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Conrad Nagel welcoming you to the 16th of the new series of Silver Theatre Dramatic Productions. Next week and the week following, you'll hear James Stewart and Jane Bryan, and in future weeks, Andrea Leeds, John Garfield, Lee Tracy, and others. Today, we're proud to present Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's brilliant star, Myrna Loy, with Elliot Lewis and Debutante, an original drama by Grover Jones and True Boardman. And now the lights are being dimmed, and the silver curtain is rising on the first act of Debutante, starring Myrna Loy as Pamela Bruce with Elliot Lewis as Eddie Adams. The scene, the huge paneled library of the Marshall Bruce home, one evening early in December. You see, Pamela, my dear? You see, while you were in Burma, I arranged everything. You will have your debut, and you'll have it this season. But, Mother, Dad, I don't I, wa- We won't argue about it. For three seasons now, I've let you talk me into putting it off. This time, I'm determined. I see. In other words, one more year and I'll be practically an old maid. Now, Pam, girl, you know what this means to your mother. But how about what it means to me, Dad? I don't want a date. That's nonsense. It's not nonsense. Look, Mother, all these traditions, the whole social setup, I suppose they're important for people who want them, but I don't. I want something else out of life. Any idea just what? Freedom. The freedom that comes with not being tied down to a famous family or a famous fortune. Oh, And you think money stands in the way of this freedom you're after? I know it does. Oh, please, Mother, Dad, forget this debut business. Let me just go out on my own and hunt for a job. Not as Pamela Bruce, but as, well, as Paula Barton, a girl nobody ever heard of. At least let me try it. If I star, well, that's up to me. Pamela, I listen to no more of this. You're being romantic and absurd. Now, we'll have the party here on the 19th. I've already selected the orchestra. Oh, and your dress. It's going to be white and very long, sweeping the floor, in fact. Oh, and here's the guest list. You'll see that every person on there has been invited for a purpose. Yes, I can believe that. Particularly all unattached males between the age of 25 and 60. 
Providing, of course, their ancestors came within three boatloads of the Mayflower. Dermot! Don't try to be funny. As a matter of fact, you should be grateful. There's nothing I've left undone to make this the finest debut of the season. Why, there won't be a society editor in the country to go from rounding around the My daughter, Pamela. How do you do? Uh, Mr. Cartwright, Jr., my I'm... daughter. How do you do? I wonder if I might have the pleasure of a dance later on, Miss Bruce. After the receiving, I mean. Of course, Mr. Cartwright. Shall we say the ninth? Thank you. Oh, Pamela, splendid. You know who the Cartwrights are. Not typhoid carriers. Pamela, no. They're copper people from Montana. How many more, Dad? I can't take this much longer. Stick with it, youngster. And I will if my feet hold out. They're killing me. Mine too. Pamela, the chap just coming in. He's Boris Malakoff, the young composer, and practically nobility. Do be nice to him. All right, Mother. Ah, uh, Mrs. Bruce, good evening. Good evening. Oh, Mr. Malakoff, my daughter, Pamela. How do good you do? evening. Uh, and my husband, Mr. Bruce, Mr. Malakoff. How do you do? Oh, I am enchanted, Miss Bruce. Could I perhaps steal you away for this one dance? There are, I know, others waiting to be presented, but uh, could we not let them wait? Why, why, how delightfully nonconformist. Do, my darling. Oh, you are so very Thank you, but I don't think I care to. Perhaps later, Mr. Malakoff. Uh, of course, as you will, Miss Bruce. As you will. Pamela, why on earth? The one man of them all I hoped you'd be nice to. I couldn't dance with him. I've got my shoes off. <laughs> Marshal! Pamela, how can you, after all? Because I... I'm tired. My feet are tired, and my arm is tired, and I'm tired. Pamela! Oh, Mrs. Bruce. He did arrive, after all. Mrs. Bruce, Miss Pamela Bruce, Mr. Marshall Bruce. May I present Mr. Ronald Stevens? How do you do? Oh, well, so good of you to include me, Mrs. Bruce. I'm sure you've read Mr. Stevens now. Oh, of course. And on this trip over, he's also acting as special correspondent for the London Mail. The London Mail? Quite. In fact, I was wondering if I might have a bit of statement from you this evening, Miss Bruce. Well, why, uh, I see no reason why Pamela shouldn't make a statement for the British play. No, Mother, please. I have nothing to say. Oh, please, Miss Bruce, just a word or so. Your opinion of the importance of debuts such as this, that sort of thing. Don't ask me, oh, Pamela. Please, my... Of course you'll make a statement. I won't. Don't force me to, Mother, or we'll both be sorry. Pamela. Easy, youngster. My daughter will make a statement, Mr. Stevens, and she'll make it now. Well, Pamela. All right, Mother. You asked for it. You can send this to your London paper, Mr. Stevens. What do I think of debuts like this? I hate them. I think they're stupid, inane, and deadly dull. Pamela! Do you know what this little get-together is really for? To find me a husband. Well, I don't want to find my husband by showing off how much money my father has. The man I'll love someday will come and find me wherever I am. And whether I've got a million dollars or a dime won't make any difference. Bravo. Marshall. And here's a finale for your statement, Mr. Stevens. You can tell the readers of the London Mail that among the missing guests at Pamela Bruce's coming out party was Pamela Bruce herself. Because at half past 11, she was fed up and tired and disgusted. And that she walked out on the assembled 400 and went home to bed. Good night. Pamela. Pamela. Hey, Pam, you forgot your shoes. Pam. I will not be put off any longer. You've got to tell me where she is. Pamela's my daughter. Now, my dear, there's nothing to worry about. I simply sent her on a cruise to South America. Don't and... tell me that again. Pam's not on any cruise. I've checked every steamship line and... All right, Helen, I will tell you. Pam's in New York on her own, doing the things she wants to do. Finding out what it's like on the other side of the world. Marsh! You didn't encourage her in that absurd idea. You bet I encouraged her. She's doing all right, too. She found herself a job. Your daughter is now Paula Barton, sales girl in a dress shop at a salary of $14 a week. $14 a week? But aren't you ashamed to have a daughter? Ashamed? I'm proud. Proud to know there's at least one member of this family that still has a little gumption. Is that so? Well, the next time you go to see her, I'm going along go with you. Go to see her. I haven't seen Pam since she left here the morning after the party. But you seem to know everything that's happened to her. Well, I've had detectives keeping eyes on her just to be sure she's all right. Well, that's at least a little better. Now, if we're going to be able to get... I said I had detectives watching her. I stopped them the day she got a job. Oh, my... Now, look, Helen. Between us, we've run Pam's life too long. 
If she really needs us, she'll come to us. But just as long as she wants to be on her own, she's going to be. And she has my blessing. Well, now, this dress is something like it. But why you had to make me try on everything in the place to find it, I don't know. I'm glad you like it, madam. And don't you? Well, surely you agree that this looks better on me than that blue atrocity. We want you to be pleased. Young woman, I ask you a question. Do you still like the blue dress better? Well, I do think the blue one's in better taste. Horizontal stripes are all wrong for your type of figure. Young woman, are you trying to tell me how to dress? It's not that, madam. But when you ask my Don't try and deny it, young woman. Floor walker, I want the floor walker. Please, madam, don't. I'll get fired. You certainly will. Floor walker? But you don't understand. Yes, madam, is there something I can do? There certainly is. This stupid sales girl of yours has dared to insult me. I have been a customer of Martine's for 14 years. And I Please, Mr. Adams, she mm, misunderstood. Be quiet, young woman, you needn't lie. I've seen your kind before. Have you just, just a, a minute, moment? madam. Do you want another sales girl? I'm not a sales girl, no. But I certainly want this one discharged. She said this dress I chose, the only decent one that you have in stock, was in bad taste. And that well, she was right. It is in bad taste. It's terrible and it looks like a tent on you. Oh. If you want to know the truth, that's it. Well, Mr. Adams... Our sales girl's jobs are to help the customers, madam, not to be shouted at. If you don't like the service here, you'd better go someplace else. I... There's an awning store down in the next block. You might try there. Oh, oh madam! Oh, oh, Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin, this man... Uh, not just... a word, madam, I heard. Well, Mr. Adams, and you, young woman, what have you to say for yourselves? Please, Mr. Martin... I'll tell you what we've got to say. We quit. We wouldn't work in a store where there's a penalty for telling the truth. It just happens we believe in freedom, don't we, Miss Barton? I said, don't we, Miss Barton? Huh? Oh, Sure, sure we do. So you can take your ladies ready to wear extra large sides for matron's department and and throw it in the East River. Come on, you. Well, are you coming or aren't you? Sure. Sure I am. And Mr. Martin, what he said goes double for me. You can take the whole store and do what he said with it. What we want is freedom. <laughs> It's open. Take your pie out. Have you ever eaten an automat before? No. That is, of course. I've got it. Now, come on. We'll sit here. You certainly are a happy person to have lunch with. Yeah? Maybe I should cheer because I'm out of a job. Fine business. Wrecks the whole works. I was in the money, do you know that? Right up amongst them. Really? $286.47. That's what I had in the bank. Another month would have made it $300. Well, I'm sure some other store will need a floor walker. A floor walker? Say, wait a minute. You don't think I'd take a job like that again, do you? Well, I... Do I look like a floor walker? Not exactly, no, I took but... that job because I had to. Every laboratory in New York was laying off men last year. Laboratory? The chemistry, that's my job. I had two years of petroleum engineering at Columbia Extension, but when Dad had to quit work, I gave it up. Is your father a chemist, too? Thirty years. He was one of the first men in the country to work on the fracking process to build octane rating. <laughs> then that's Greek to you. But we've got something now that's really important. All we need is a lab of our own for research. Ever think what's the worst thing about city life these days? What? Carbon monoxide. The poison that comes out of the exhaust of 100,000 automobiles. Well, we're going to stop that because I've got a way to absorb those fumes. Chemically, I mean. Oh, it's been tried before, but it wasn't practical. My method would be. It sounds wonderful. Well, it is wonderful. That's my dream, to make every city in the country a... Hey, why should I be telling you all this? Go on. I think it's swell, Mr. Adams. Nick's Eddie. People who get fired together should always use first names. Hey, what is your first name, anyway? It's Paula. Paula? Don't like it. I never like girls' first names that don't begin with M or J. I'll call you Jane. But my name... And don't argue. Yeah, hurry and finish eating and we'll start looking for jobs. Oh, will we? Unless you'd rather starve. Hey, what are you looking in your purse for? I want some more to eat. Why didn't you say so? Here, this lunch is on me and you're not spending your own nickels. How many do you want? Just one. I want ice cream on my pie. Ice cream on your pie. Here, give me that nickel back. <laughs> the pie's got cheese on it, hasn't it? That's enough. You've got to learn to save your dough. Here, let me see your purse. Hey, keep out of there. All oh, been... I thought so. $2.87 and no job. When's your rent paid to? That's none of your business. Till tomorrow, isn't it? So you're practically broke and have no place to live. Well, that settles it. You're coming home with me. 
We've got a back bedroom we've been trying to rent, but nobody take it because the window won't open. You can sleep there. Now, look here, Mr. Eddie Adams. If you think I'll let you run my affairs just any way... Sure you will. Somebody's got to run them. How far do you think anybody'd get in this town if they didn't have someone else for a boss? Except you, of course. Nobody bosses you. Oh, no? <laughs> Where did you see Mom go to work on me? And on you, too. Come on, let's go. Of course, you'll stay. There's no argument about it. See, what did I tell you, Jane? Oh, I forgot, Mama. Her name's Paula, but I'm calling her Jane. But, Mrs. Adams, you don't understand. It's really my fault that Eddie lost his job. Nonsense. He's a hothead. He's always Oh, hello, it. Dad. How do you feel? Did you see the doctor today? What did he say? About the same, Eddie. He still can't tell much. This is Paula Barton, Dad. The girl lady he phoned him about. She's going to stay with us. Oh, but Mrs. Adams, I can't impose on you. Impose nothing, Why? You take the back room. You can pay $9 a week with board when you start back to work and help me with the dishes. Now it's all settled. Well. <laughs> so you're not going to be bossed, huh? That's what you think. Come on, I'll show you your room. Oh, Eddie, wait a minute. Huh? Paula. Of course, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. But if you do want to, you're more than welcome. You're swell to ask me. All of you. And I will stay. I'd love to. I think this is just the place I've been looking for. So the silver curtain falls on Act One of Debutante. Before Myrna Law and Ellie Lewis continue with Act Two, we'd like to offer a suggestion to you, the hostess. Jeweler's windows, perhaps on the dinner table of a friend. But I wonder how many of you know, from your own experience, how everlasting its rich, warm, lustrous beauty is. If you don't know, if you've never owned sterling silver, may I suggest that you visit your silverware dealer tomorrow, Monday, and talk with him? You'll be surprised at the things he can tell you. Pleasantly surprised. For you can get a complete service of exquisite solid silver, international sterling silver, on payment terms adapted especially to your income. Or you can start by getting one of international sterling's lovely me-to-you sets and build your own solid silver service by adding a set a month. Now, these me-to-you sets come in a wide variety of patterns. Among them, the popular and lovely Enchantress. Look at all of them and make your choice. For when you see the grace and luster of international sterling designs, when you realize that you can get a place setting for one person, six lovely pieces of solid silver for only $16.75, I know you will make a choice. That you'll resolve right then and there to own a complete service of solid silver by international sterling. Once again, the lights are being dimmed and the silver curtain is rising on the concluding act of debutante starring Myrna Loy with Elliot Lewis. Several months have passed. Pamela, now calling herself Paula Barton, is still at the Adamses. And in her life and all their lives, there have been changes. But they're the subtle and elusive changes that find no real expression in what people say or do but achieve a real eloquence in their thoughts. And so it's in the thoughts of Mrs. Adams, of her husband, of Eddie, and of Pamela herself we come to really understand the changes that the passing months have made. It's April. Eddie's still out of a job. He hasn't said so, but I know his savings are running pretty low. Dad seems to be getting sicker. Paul is still here, and she hasn't found a job either. Things are sure to change before long. Anyway, they'd better. It's early in May. Paula got a job last week at a hat store, but Eddie's still looking. I wish he could work on that idea of his and that I was well enough to help him. The doctor still won't say about me. I wish he would. It's not knowing that makes it hard. The 10th of June. I got a job in a refinery over in Jersey. Paula, funny I call her Jane, but I always think of her as Paula. No, Paula's still here. Somehow I can't quite think straight when it comes to Paula. Wish I could tell her so. Her birthday's next month, the 6th. She thinks I don't know. Dad's not any better. He worries me. 
It's July 5th. I got a raise last week. One more, and Eddie and I between us will be making enough to... Why should I think things like that? Eddie hasn't said anything. And anyway, he's got to get that laboratory he wants. Besides, his dad is sicker all the time. It worries me. Tomorrow's my birthday, and Eddie doesn't know. I almost told him that he'd want to get me something, and I know he can't afford it. But gosh, I wish he would. Oh, it's, it's swell, Eddie. I've never seen a grander bracelet. Only garnets, not diamonds or emeralds like you ought to have. But anyway, it's real. Fake jewelry doesn't go with you. I'm never going to let you wear it. So now get your hat. We're on our way. On our way? Sure, it's your birthday, isn't it? Well, this is our day to howl. Eddie, you mean a show? A show? That's only the beginning. But your budget. The heck with the budget. I don't care if it costs five bucks. We're going to split this town wide open. <laughs> Just to see a carnival. And at this hour, we ought to go home. Thanks. No birthday's complete without a ride in a Ferris wheel. Come on. Uh, yes, sir. Time, dime a ride, sir. Dime oh, a ride. Hey, here's a buck, buddy. That's five rides apiece, and we don't want to stop in between. Okay. Up you go. Oh, Eddie. You shouldn't have spent the money. But this was a grand idea. Oh, it's so cool up here. And look at the lights. And those ships out there in the river. Yeah. Eddie. What? What's wrong? You just sort of froze up all of a sudden. Nothing. It's not because I spent too much money. Oh, don't be a dope. You think I'd care if you spent a million if I hadn't? I guess you think I'm tight. But sure I am because I've got to be. Because it's the one outside chance I've got to win because... Oh, let's not talk about it. Let's do talk about it, Eddie. For what? Where will it get us? There's nothing I can say that you haven't already guessed. Why, I've got a rush of words inside me that have been killing me for months. What about me? Maybe I've got a rush of words I've kept inside, too. Suppose you have. What do they all add up to? We love each other, so that's great. That's where the fairy tale ends. So we get married and live happy forever after. Only we don't, because this isn't a fairy tale. We can't afford to get married. Are you sure, Eddie? What have I got to offer you? Suppose we left the folks. What's the most we could afford and take care of them, too? A room or a single apartment? Well, you're not a single apartment girl, and I know it. Oh, Janie, don't you see? You deserve a little house somewhere. Anyway, a flat big enough to breathe in. We could get that later, darling. I'll still be working, too, you know. And there's another thing. Maybe it's old-fashioned to want kids. Well, then I'm old-fashioned. That's the way it is. Now we got to forget it, I tell you. All right, Eddie. After all, you know how much you love me. What's how much I love you got to do with it? Does loving you give me any more freedom to do the things I want to do? But you have freedom. Freedom, sure. Freedom to fight for every nickel. Money, that's the only kind of freedom that amounts to anything, and don't forget it. But money's nothing, Eddie. Nothing, huh? Have you any idea what we could do with 5,000 bucks? We could get married tomorrow. We could make a payment on a house somewhere. I could buy you some clothes, and I could get that lab I've always wanted. I could make every city in this country a cleaner, better place to live in. That's been my dream for five years, but... Oh, let's forget it. I love you, sure. That's any satisfaction to you. I'm crazy about you. That's the end of it. But it isn't. Eddie Adams, if you won't propose to me... Eddie, we're going to get married. You're crazy. Sure I am. You've got a dream. Well, I'm going to share that dream. You won't stop me. Why, you darn fool, I love you so much I'd marry you even if you were rich. What kind of sense does that make? It doesn't make any. We'll go to Greenwich tomorrow. Greenwich and spend $7 train fare? Nix. We'll get a license tomorrow, wait five days, and then go to the city hall in a taxi. (laughs) I don't care if we walk. Oh, Eddie, darling. Paul, I... All right, wise guy, a fine time you picked to stop this thing.
doing up? Oh, Eddie, Eddie, where have you been? Mother Abby is dead. The doctor's been here since four o'clock. What is it, doctor? Your father's had a collapse, Eddie. I've been warning him of it. Your mother says he hasn't told you. Is he bad? Very bad. Isn't there something, some kind of treatment that... Yes, uh, no more thorax operation. Then months of complete rest. The operation and all, Doc, how much would it cost? That's hard to say, Eddie. Several hundred at least. Perhaps a thousand. Depends on... Paula! Paula, where are you going? Never mind. I'll be back. So here you are. You know, you know, I've been looking for you since four this morning from one end of New York to the other. Where were you? What was the idea of... Hey, where's Dad? Your Dad's gone, Eddie, and your mother with him. I had him taken to a hospital where they specialize in just the kind of operation he needs. Swell, and I pay for it with buttons. No, you pay for it with this. Huh? Pay to the order of Edward Adams, $2,000. Marshal Bruce... Where'd you get this? Marshal Bruce, I've heard of him. What's he to you? He's my father, Eddie. Your... Your... Huh. I get it now, and it's swell. Marshal Bruce's daughter, and you'd marry me even if I was rich. Oh, that's funny. That's very funny. I bet you've had a swell time, haven't you? Shut up. Slumming with the Adamses. Finding out how the other half lives. Shut up! Hey! I might have known you'd take it like this. Because money's the one thing that matters to you. And you're too blind to see that all the money in the world isn't as important as loving someone. Jane! My name is Pamela. Call me that. And there's another thing. I told my dad about your dream. Your idea to make cities healthier to live in. He'll lend you that 5000 you need. He offered to make it 50000 But I said we only needed five. That we still wanted to be on our own, now and always. But you won't take that either. Because nothing matters to you but pride. It doesn't even matter that I'd live with you forever in a furnished room if you ask me to. So you can take your dreams and your budgets and your kids and throw them in the East River. Jane! Hey, hey, Jane! Huh? I, I, I thought you were running away. That's what I thought you thought. <laughs> Oh, Eddie, I can't help it if I was born rich. Can't we, can't we just both forget it? I don't know whether to kiss you or kill you. Well, I wish you'd make up your mind to do one or the other. Oh, Jane, uh, Paula, I mean Pamela. Will you just stop calling me names? Oh, Eddie, darling... And that was the wonderful Myrna Loy in Debutantes for the Silver Theatre. Lovely. Just time to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. I think I, I, I think I know that voice from personal acquaintance. Are you beloved by millions and millions of children? It's Gulliver. <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that would have to be yes, Bennett. I, I, can I take a stab? What do yes, you, you can want? take a stab. I think it's Walt Disney. You're right. Yes, it was Walt Disney. Did you get it? I'm sure you did. You're awfully smart. Well done if you got it. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for stopping by. Just a reminder that you need to get those votes in for our 1939 film club. It's going to be a very tough choice, so vote now. And if you want to be there with us on Sunday, the 22nd of November, to see the winner of the vote, then all you need to do is sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret, and I'll send out the invitation this week. As well as Film Club, you'll also receive lots more in the way of bonus material, including over 80 more of these shows, eBooks 
previews, commentaries, all kinds of things, just go to www.patreon.com slash attaboyssecret or click the link in the show notes. That's it from me. Until I talk to you again, remember to take super care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.